All right, Romans 11, turn to verse 1, okay? If you don't have a Bible, we'll have some guys come down the aisles with Bibles for you. Raise your hand. We do it every single week. We want you to follow along, especially today, because we're going so quick. Uh, I want you guys to be able to follow along in the Scriptures. So um, if you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's a free gift to you. Please take this one on your way out. Uh, if you're just borrowing it, leave it on your way out as well on the Connect desk. Okay, so turn to Romans chapter 11, verse 1. And here we go. All right. Um, I'm going to read through the verses pretty quick. And then I'm going to try and just kind of give us some main bullet point ideas. But know this, a lot of what we talk about today has been spoken of before um, over really chapters 9 and 10 and really all of Romans. But um, we want you, we want you to know that go back, spend a little more time in some of this stuff if, if you have questions or come and talk to us after and we can delve deeper into uh, what Paul's trying to communicate. So um, here's what he's been doing. Uh, chapters 1 through 8 of the book of Romans is, is kind of this, this thrust of the gospel where he presents what the gospel is, talks about how bad we are, the gospel need that we have, and that that finds itself in Jesus. That the gospel is good news because we're so messed up, we need a Savior, and God provided that through his Son. Okay, So 1 through 8 is all of that. 9, 10, and 11 become kind of this aside for Paul as he tries to show the world, and now us, that God is still and always will be faithful to his promises. Throughout the Old Testament, he sends all of these promises, and there's multiple covenants with the people of God, with Israel, whom he calls through Abraham in the book of Genesis, and you are my people. I will, I will raise you up. You'll be blessed to be a blessing. He makes promises to them, and so Paul is living in the reality of, of today, okay, that says, I'm one of the only Jews that knows Jesus. So Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church saying, okay, man, I I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I follow him. But I look to all my other Jewish brothers and sisters, and they don't. How did they miss this? And then, wait, God, you said that we were your people. And so how are you still faithful to what you said? And so um, we get the best kind of exposition and presentation of God's faithfulness to his called people uh, anywhere in the Bible today. And then, and then we see what then is our role in the midst of God's faithfulness to Israel, okay? And that's, that's where we're going. So let's get started. Verse 1, the remnant of Israel. I ask then, has God rejected his people by no means. For I myself, Paul, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So just setting of, of this first passage, right? Um, Elijah, in the Old Testament, this is coming from 1 Kings, is looking up to heaven. He's in this conversation with God. He's like, look, look around. No one's on board with you. God, God, you're saying all this stuff, but guess what? No one's following. No one wants. No one desires. It's just me. What are you going to do? Are you, you going to reject these people? Are they going to be sent away? How, is, how are you going to function this out? What's this going to look like? And, he, and God responds, no, here's what I've done. Here's what I've done. I, I, I've, I've reserved for myself. I've saved for myself. In the midst of a disobedient nation, in the midst of a disobedient people, I've set aside 7,000 
7,000 of my own, a remnant of my people that will be faithful, that will be faithful to our covenant, and I will be faithful to my promise. And so he sets aside this remnant of the Israelite nation and say, these are, man, they're, they're going to get it, okay? And, and, and here's the evidence for this. Here's, here's the evidence that he does not reject them and will not reject all those who call in the name of Jesus, which has been kind of a running theme over the last few weeks. The first one, Paul says that he is evidence number one. Just look at his life. Has God rejected the Jews? No, because Paul's a Christian. Because Paul, a Jew, the Jew among Jews, this guy did everything to the T. He was the guy. He was the one they heralded as the Jew of Jews. He was that guy, and yet there he was, following Jesus, put his faith, called on the name of Jesus, and he was saved. And so his first evidence is, look at my story Certainly God has not just rejected Israel, rejected his people. People, He's still faithful because I'm still here, okay? The second one was um, history, right? So again, he talks about Elijah and saves the 7,000. The third, the third evidence is God's character. So like, li- li- listen, we'll just hear the speaking and what Paul communicates about God's character in the midst of this passage. He talks about his sovereignty, he talks about his foreknowledge, right? That before anything, he knew you. He knew all of the 7,000. He knew Paul. He knew everything he would do, how he would save, how this would work out, what remnant it would be, the whole deal. Paul knew, or God knew it, and he is sovereign. We see his grace. We see his sovereignty. We see his goodness. All of this coming together as the first few evidences that God remains faithful to his promises to the people of Israel. And so hear, hear this. If you're in Rome and you're receiving this letter from Paul, you're starting to feel pretty good. Okay. If, you're, if you're in Rome, and you're a Jew, and you're starting to hear some of this, okay, so, so God didn't reject us. Because if you're a Jew, and you're living in Rome at this time, and you're looking around, and there's some of your friends, some of your Jewish brothers and sisters have jumped on the bandwagon to say, you know the guy that we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the one that everyone's talked about for thousands of years? It's Jesus. And some people bought into that, but most of us haven't. They begin to think, okay, well, wait, maybe, maybe we missed something. Maybe God isn't who he said he was. Maybe God didn't promise what, he think, what we think he promised. And, and so I imagine as Paul begins to break this down from saying, no, l- let me tell you this. God's doing something. Okay? God, God's doing something. And, and let me say this in the, in the midst of kind of where we're going in this sermon where Paul goes, this, some of this for us today, and, and I know, and I actually talked to a guy, I said last week, I said, I don't know how many Jews we have in the crowd, and then what, Ben came up to me, he's like, well, I'm Jewish, and I said, all right, well, you're the one, right? I mean, there's, well, there's just not probably a ton of you that have that heritage and have that descent. Most of us fall underneath the category of Gentiles, non-Jew, that we love Jesus, that's why we're here, that's our story. Some, some not, okay, I don't know, okay? But, but Paul's saying, listen, pay attention, this news is important for you too, Gentile. I, I know it sounds very teachery. I know we're just kind of running through the history and then the future history of Israel. And you might be wondering, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, he's getting there. And we have a significant role to play in the redemptive history of God's original chosen people, Israel. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Verse 8, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day, currently, 
Verse 9, and David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So, okay, again, I take this from the position. If I'm a Jew and I'm hearing this, I'm feeling pretty good. Verses 1 through 6, okay, God still has a plan. Here's the evidence for it. And then you get to 7 through 10, and you begin to say, okay, well, God, what are you doing? Because the text is pretty clear, and Paul's pretty clear of what he's saying here. He's quoting Isaiah and Deuteronomy 29. He's quoting David, quoting David in Psalm 69. He's saying, this is the reality of what God has done. Do you realize that Israel, my pe the people that God called all the way from the book of Genesis, that intentionally the God, the sovereign God of the universe, gave them eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear, hearts that could not believe, minds that could not comprehend. He gave them a spirit of stupor. What are you doing? This, this for us is one of those things where we're like, God, I, I feel like maybe I would have done this a different way. So, so Paul, I think, in 1 through 6, is like we, he's still coming. He still has plans. But through 7 through 10, man, he lays out some theology for us that's tough to swallow that we really try to encapsulate through chapter 9, but that God in his sovereignty has a greater idea and plan for redemption than we will ever fully get. And so we see the truth of the redemptive history of Israel is that at this current time, even to today, the hearts of the majority of Jews in this world are intentionally hardened by God. I mean, we see this, this is, and this is not just here. I mean, you see this in other places throughout Scripture. This is where Israel is at right now. Given this, this heart, this, this stupor, this I cannot see, I cannot comprehend, and, and the big question becomes why? What, what possible reason what possible reason would you have for this? And so we get that here in verse 11. There we go. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? In other words, is this happening so that they never know or they never believe? Was this hiccup? Was this, okay, this partial hardening for this time? Is this forever? Will they ever believe, okay? By no means. Rather, here we go, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Ready? So as to make Israel jealous. Verse 12. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So, are the Jews done? Are the Jews out? Are they unfinished? No. By no means. Inconceivable. Not going to happen. God loves his chosen people. He still has a plan. But here's what he does. He says, listen, I'm going to give them this heart. I'm going to give them eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, so that my, my gospel, my good news, my reality, my truth, that this, this, this Jesus, this Messiah would be open to the world. That now, as we ended in chapter 10, all who call on the name of Jesus can be saved. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. As this is now opened up to the Gentiles. Now, there's the next piece of this. Ready? So that Israel would be jealous. That God in, in his sovereignty, in the way that he orders salvific, redemptive history is to say, they will be hardened, the Gentiles will start to get it, they will love God in such a way that the Jews will begin to watch and say, we missed it, and I want that. That they'll begin to profess the name of Jesus. 
And so God, in his sovereignty, begins this way of, of, of just drawing together a much larger kingdom than maybe we originally saw in focus throughout the Old Testament. Praise God that it, that it happened to include us, okay? Let's keep going. Verse 13. This is the application for us. Ready? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Okay, so Ben, you can close your ears. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, okay? To all you non-Jews. Inasmuch then as I am apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. In other words, Paul loves everyone, right? Paul, Paul loves the Greeks and he loves everyone. That he's, he loves the Romans. He loves all this, the non-Jews. He loves the Gentiles. He, we love you, but Paul's like, listen, I got to be honest, if all motives are on the table, I'm kind of doing this because I hope that some of my Jewish brothers and sisters begin to follow Jesus. I, I'm pouring out, I, I'm, I'm sacrificing for the sake of the gospel that you would be changed and redeemed so that my brothers, some of them, my literal brothers and sisters, that they would know Jesus, they would see your life and say, gosh, how did I miss this? And I want it. And already, hopefully, this is stirring in us. We're going to get a little deeper in it. Hopefully, this is stirring in us, Gentiles. Hopefully, it's stirring in us, church, of how do we live our lives in such a way that those who would be on the outside would look in and say, I want that. How would they be on the outside and look in and say, man, they know God. They know the creator of the world. They, they know the thing that may be at the deepest parts of my soul that I'm really longing for. How, how are you, how am I, how are we living in such a way that this is true, that we're fulfilling God's redemptive mission in the world to be a people that, that makes the world with emphasis on Israel jealous? And, and I'll tell you, I think if I think we're honest, we're not, we're not probably doing a super job Probably not doing a super job, and there's all sorts of reasons for that, but let's, let's keep going. There's a lot more to cover. Verse 16. Uh-uh. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, so here we go. The dough and the roots and all of the imagery that's being brought up here, I'll just lay it out for you now. They're referring to the patriarchs. Okay, of Israel, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to the, to the first fathers of the Jewish faith, to the first followers and obedient members of God throughout the Old Testament. Okay, those guys, the roots of the faith, that when we go all the way back, we look to, okay, the roots, the dough, the people that were there in the beginning. Okay, that's who he's talking about. In other words, the story that he's alluding to right now is the Jewish story, not the Gentile story. Verse 17, but if some of the branches... Okay, the Jews that rejected God were broken off. And you, although a wild olive shoot, so you've got this tree that's growing, okay? You've got this beautiful olive tree, amazing branches. You've got the forefathers that stood firmly in their faith and their belief and their love of God, and they grew up in all these branches. And then you begin to have different members of the Jewish community not fall in love with Jesus, miss, Jesus, miss the Messiah. 
They begin to fall off of the tree, the family of God, and you see these branches laying on the ground, and you have this wild olive shoot just acting all crazy, like a crazy straw, just going everywhere, and all of a sudden, God in his infinite wisdom says, I'm going to take some of those branches, and I'm going to graft them onto this tree. That's the redemptive story. That's the redemptive story of history. That's how we were saved. God raised up this root, raised up this tree, raised up Israel. And then when the gospel in its fullness goes to the Gentile, he literally takes and brings in and grafts in us into his family, into his tree. Okay? <laughs> Let's keep going. Um, we're grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. He says, but verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, okay? If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. It is, we are living off of the Israelite story. We're living off of their story that we've been grafted into. Now it is all of our story, but for a while it wasn't. Now we're brought into this cosmic redemptive story that God is doing where we are grafted into his people. Now, here, ready? Here is how we work this out. Here are the implications for us. Verse 19, then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So just some quick applications for us. Ready? Don't get cocky. Don't, in other words, let's not start to think that we figured this thing out. Like, okay, Jews, if I were in their shoes, I would have figured it out. You probably wouldn't have. That you sit where you sit, you're here today worshiping Jesus because of his grace, not because of your, your, you figured something out. Not because you spent enough time formulating and figuring out and gathering evidence to where your mind and heart were just, okay, it's right. God's grace came, you were saved, belief followed. Okay. Don't get cocky. Be vigilant and aware. Fear God. He's, if we look at the story of how he's handled history, it's intense. It's, it's, it's really intense the way he's done this. And yet he's good and he's sovereign, yet we must sit in this reverent understanding that at any moment he can control anything he wants to control. And so we'd be vigilant. And the last one, this one I think is the most important. Don't abuse grace. So we look out throughout the Old Testament what we find is, is as his people, we find the Jews, and what they did is they abused the law. In other words, they used the law for that which it was not supposed to be used for, okay? And they, they made it all about the law. They tried to achieve rights by the law. Here's what we do. We abuse grace. We use grace in ways that it was never meant to be used before, and we abuse it. And so, so much we look to the Old Testament and say, man, they just were so focused on law. And then here's, sometimes we get so focused on grace that we abuse it. And I am all about grace and we live in it and we saturate ourselves in it and it is our foundation. But what happens is sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we sit, we abuse it and we live lives that are not reflections of God and the work he's done. We live lives that are cocky, arrogant and think we can do whatever we want. Yes, God is love and God is forgiveness, but he is also severe. 
And so let us not abuse grace. Let us not just think, okay, Christ, you died, and so let me just do and go and sin in every way that I want to because here at the ultimate, ultimate moment of this is because when we do that, church, hear me, when we live and engage in sin, not only do we harm ourselves, we harm the image that we project to the world, namely Israel, whom we're supposed to make jealous. That's why God cares so much about not abusing grace, about not sinning, about engaging in righteousness, about being the people of God, is because he wants that people could look to you, could look to us and say, I want that, I desire that. How do I have it? And so don't abuse grace. Love grace, saturate yourself in grace, but don't abuse it. Don't just think, okay, well, well Christ died for me, so I can just, it doesn't matter. My sin doesn't matter anymore. I can go do this. I can go out with this. I can go, no, man, come on. It's okay if I just sit in unforgiveness. It's okay if I sit in pride and arrogance. No, it's not. Repent. Don't abuse grace because God desires that in and through us the world would see and the world would know, okay? Okay, last part. Verse 25. All right. Nope, dang it. We're on 23. 23. And even they... If they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. So going back to the Jews, if they, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, in other words, since we were brought into this tree, even though we didn't deserve to be, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? In other words, God still has a plan for Israel. God still has a plan to bring his people back to his family and brought in. Okay, verse 25. This last part. Lest you be wise in your own sight. I love that. In other words, lest you think you're smarter than you are, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. In other words, this was once unknown and a mystery to you, but Paul's about to unveil it to us. We, in other words, this was something we were not, it was, it, okay, it's like that, like you find a folder that says confidential and everything in every part of you just wants to open the folder, right? You, what's in there? This is that moment. A veil pulled away, the mystery revealed. Here we go. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in, presented with three truths here. One, a majority of Israel is currently hardened. We already went over that a little bit. Majority of Israel is currently hardened too. The time for the fullness of Gentiles to believe is now. That from this moment to now, and I don't know when it's ending, but right now, this is when, this is the time for the fullness, whatever that means. In other words, God's got a number in my mind. I don't know what that looks like, if it's a percentage, if he's just like, it's got to be this many. God has something in mind here. He's not just, okay, I don't know what's going to go God knows until the fullness, until this number, until we hit whatever, until that number comes in, that's when this hardness will continue. And then the third one, that God has a plan for Israel post this fullness entering. That once this, this fullness has come in, that then God's going to do something with Israel. That's what we get, all that. Verse 25, verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is how they're going to be saved. Two questions that we have to ask ourselves in the midst is, what Israel is he speaking about here? So is he talking about all of Israel for all time historically? In other words, is our people, or Israelites, those in his, in his family that died previously before we get to this time where a bunch of Jews will come, will they be saved? Or is it, is it a remnant? Is it a, 
Most theologians would point to this being the future generation of Israel that comes at the time when the fullness of Gentiles has come in. That generation of Israel refers to, when it talks about all of Israel will be saved. The second question off of that is, when it says all of Israel, does it literally mean every single person in Israel, that is of that generation, will be saved? We don't fully know. We don't fully know. And there's, there's both ends of this sucker. And so... I don't know. I hope so. A lot of people will point to, man, when you look at contextually and you look out throughout Scripture, maybe not. Maybe there, there's some other things where I, I don't know if it's going to be every single one. You look at the language of it, maybe say, man, if you think about, okay, if we look at towards like a war scenario, right? So if you look towards a war scenario, you say, okay, uh, like France, right, during World War II, man, much of their country was destroyed, decimated. You're welcome, France. And, um, and I'm just kidding. I'm not even into that. I don't know why I said that. Um, that much of their country was messed up. And so what happens? So we would say that by the end of the war, what? All of France was saved, that the nation still remained, that France was saved. And so there's that language that could work out there too, where maybe it doesn't mean every single person. It just means a lot, a majority. We don't really fully know, but God still is going to save many of his people at the end of days. Verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy in all. He, this is just a final summation paragraph for chapter 11 to say this is what he's done. There is this hardening, but God is still faithful. He's going to save. This is what it's going to look like. God is faithful to his people. Why? Because all people have been disobedient. There's not one of us in the room, regardless of heritage, race, ethnicity, that has not been disobedient to a perfect God, and yet in the midst of it, we find a God who is faithful to give grace and mercy to a people who do not deserve it through his son Jesus Christ. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. All who call on his name will be saved. Praise God, hallelujah, for his grace and mercy. For all of the work that he's doing in redemptive history, listen, all of, all of this undeserved by man, God's faithfulness and love and mercy shines and reigns that we and the Jews at some point will be brought into his family. So the application of this, and um, we, we were going to try and show a video, but I, I couldn't go as fast as I hoped to, and that was pretty fast. Um, and so I'm, we're going to put this video up uh, on, on our website, and we'll put it up on Facebook or whatever media channels you guys connect with us. But it's a story of this guy, Neil Pitchell, who's a pastor at Redemption Church Gilbert. And, uh, and he's, this, this is his story to the T. I mean, the guy was raised in Hebrew school, bat mitzvahed, the whole deal, got to age 13. As soon as he was bat mitzvahed, he said, I'm out. The law's too much. Can't take it. And then he got older. He saw some Christians begin to love God and love each other and said, I want that. Goes, talks, meets, listens, hears, believes, and is now preaching this gospel to a church of 5,000 in Gilbert, Arizona. Amazing story. Please go listen to it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond today just by singing, by giving, by communion, by all of that. But I want us to be a people that when we walk out these doors, listen, I want it to be that if we were to all stay, like imagine we all stayed here and watched the soccer game with the city of Flagstaff, that for whatever reason, they would look to the 80 of us here today and say, there's just something. 
There's a way that they love each other. There's a way that they keep talking about this guy, Jesus, that I just want, and I want to hear it, and I want to believe it, and I want to know it, I want to be saved. That's my desire for us. So that looks different for each of you. The way you live, the implications of the gospel in your life, be faithful because God is faithful. Don't be faithful because you're earning anything. Be faithful because God was faithful first. Serve because God served us first. Love because God loved you first. Sacrifice because Christ sacrificed first. And let us be the people of God, walking humbly, not arrogant, not prideful, but walking humbly in an effort to proclaim the majesties of this great Savior with whom none of us deserved to have his Savior. Amen? All right. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I don't know. I don't know if... I don't even know what I said for that little bit. There's, there's just, there's, there's mysteries. There's so much stuff going on. And so, Lord, I just pray, we pray for your Holy Spirit to just do some work right now. And, uh, and to fashion us into the people, God, that would, that would make your name great in the city of Flagstaff and into the homes of wherever people are coming from today. So, God, bless us, um, shape us, mold us, Make us more like your son, Jesus, that we could present that to the world in a way that is faithful and is, um, is honoring to you. God, we pray, for, we pray for Israel. We pray for the Jews in this world. We pray for, um, we do pray for eyes to be opened and ears to be opened, God, and eyes to just clearly see the great majesty that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah that they've been searching for, that they've been hoping for, God, that he came and that he is real and that he has said, call on me and you will be saved. Lord, bless us today as we respond. It's your name we pray, amen.